Even Lord, as we partake of the wonderful table that you have prepared for us, as we sit down around this table and enjoy that feast, and now Lord, as we turn to your word to meditate together on it, we pray, Lord. Lead us to even higher ground. We acknowledge that you already have blessed us with all blessings in the heavens in Christ Jesus. But we pray, Lord, even this morning, lead us into a deeper experience of all those blessings that are ours. So we pray, Lord, speak your your own words that are words of eternal life. We thank you because the Holy Spirit was given to us. And we pray that He would be He will be in charge of the whole time. We pray for His enabling, for speaking, for hearing, for translating your word. We pray that He will reveal Christ to each one of us. And we thank You, Lord, because much more than our own desire, we know that this is the desire on Your own heart. So we commit this time into your hands. We thank you, Lord, because even if what we have is almost nothing, 
We know that by your blessing, everyone can be fed. Would you meet us this morning and do that, Lord? Feed us. And we pray these things for your own glory, Lord. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So we want to read some scriptures uh, this morning. Uh, starting from the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 1. I want to read verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Romans chapter 8. We want to read two verses, verses 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he has predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And finally, we want to read several verses. From the second epistle of the Apostle Peter. So, second Peter. We are going to read some verses through the epistle. Starting from the beginning, verse, chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 Seeing that His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And 
Now from verse 12. Therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I, also, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18 And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And finally, we want to read the very last verse of the whole epistle. Chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, as you know, we have been considering for the last couple of months already uh, uh, in, the, in this morning sessions, the matter of spiritual growth. And several brothers already have shared on growing in all things in Him who is the head, even Christ. And 
And of course, I'm here to continue in those lines to share on growing in everything in whom who is the head Christ. And I would like to do that from the perspective of this second epistle of Peter, from which we read some verses now. So I would like you to keep that in mind. We are still considering growing in our Lord Jesus, but we want to do it from the angle or perspective of this epistle. Actually, this epistle has been called the last will and testament of the Apostle Peter. The last will and testament of the Apostle Peter. Or the last will and testament. Or another way to put it is his last will and testimony. And why do some scholars, some students of the Bible say that? Well, it's very clear, even from the verses we read, somehow our brother Peter was assured that the time of his departure to be with the Lord was very, very close. As probably you remember, at the end of the Gospel of John, we have that record of that conversation of the risen Lord with his disciple Peter. And when the Lord was had that wonderful breakfast with Peter, and, and after having that also wonderful dialogue with him, when he asked him, Do you love me? Probably you remember, and I hope you do, that at the end of that conversation, the Lord met, somehow he spoke in, in, in the lines of that Peter one day he would give his life for his Lord. And you remember that Peter, a couple of days before this event, he had terribly denied his Lord. He thought that he was able to give his life for his Lord. You remember the story. And he very boldly, he said, I will go, if, if needed, I will die for you. And we remember how he failed terribly. But after our Lord Jesus graciously restored our brother, now he reveals to him, yes, one day you will give your life for me. Of course, this is a paraphrase. And Peter, at this juncture of his life, when he is writing the second epistle, he, he knows that that time is come. And therefore, he says the verses we already read, let me reread it for you in chapter 1 and verse 14. 
Peter says, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. It may sound cryptic, but it's a very plain declaration. His earthly dwelling is was his body. And he knows that that is going to be laid aside. In other words, he's going to depart to be with the Lord. And it's not our, our theme here, but we know from church tradition and church history that indeed, Peter, it, tradition has it, that he was crucified upside down. So many Bible scholars believe that this epistle was written right at that immediately before that point in his life when he was going to be with the Lord. Now the question is, if you have very, very few minutes or hours or days, whatever that is, if you have a limited time remaining on this earth, what are you going to do? What are you going to tell your family or your friends or your brothers and sisters? Very likely that that which is the, the, the most important things in your heart is what you're going to tell those people that you love. It's like, it's like there is no time to waste here. There is an urgency because he's going to be with the Lord. Those are the circumstances behind this epistle. So if that is the case, what is going to be Peter's message to the church, to the saints to him to whom he is writing? It's definitely that most precious burden or the most urgent burden if we can use that term that he has upon his heart. And that's what why some scholars refer to this epistle as Peter's last will and testimony. And of course, the question is, well, what is then that most urgent burden that is in Peter's heart to communicate to his brethren before he goes to be with the Lord? And to our surprise, there is one thought that sort of permeates the whole epistle. And, and that thought is the thought of growing in the Lord. 
I just want to very quickly to show you some spots in the epistle where you're going to find that thought. We already read some of those passages. I want to read a couple more with you. But as a matter of fact, if you paid attention, we read the beginning and the end of the epistle, right? And the epistle begins and ends with the same thought of growing in the Lord. And, and in between, you have it at the beginning, at the end, and in the middle of the epistle, again, you find that thought, recurrent thought of growing in the Lord. I want to very quickly go through some of those passages. So, for instance, we read uh, the very greeting of the epistle, chapter 1, verse 2. And here already we find the thought of growing in Christ. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, the, of Jesus our Lord. It's not only grace and peace be with you, as it's so often the, the formula of the greetings in the epistles. But grace and peace be multiplied. Do you see the idea? It's something that should be given and experienced by us in an ever increasing way multiplied. And when we come to verse 5, still chapter 1, he says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge. And he was going to enumerate actually eight virtues here. We are not reading all of them. And in some translations, the word that in, in this translation that I'm using reads supply, like in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. Some translations has used the word add in your to your faith add virtue to your virtue add knowledge and the whole idea is of something that is being added something that is being uh, there is a growth, an expansion of things going on. And in verse 8, he sums up the, the paragraph saying, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And 
So the burden of Peter is not just that those virtues, faith and virtue and knowledge should be added, but it's, it's something that should be increasing, ever, ever increasing. 那这边所提到的不只是这些品德，就是信心，呃，这这个德行这方面，但是要持持续的成长上去。You see the idea of growth.那我们是否看到在这边很清楚的看到成长的这个图画在那里？And as we already read, let's read it again. The epistle ends with that idea. It's like summing up everything that came before.那这个这封书信结束的时候也是有如此的思想。But grow. In the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, I hope these things convince you of the burden that is in Peter's heart at this point. And maybe the question that we may have is, well, why is growth among all things that Peter could speak to those saints? Why is that that very urgent burden that is in his heart before he goes to be with the Lord? Why is growing in Christ so important and so vital? Why is this the last will and testimony of our brother Peter? Well, actually, everything is related to our very calling in Christ. The matter of growth, let me put it this way, this matter of growing in Christ is inseparable, is linked, is related to our very calling in the Lord Jesus. And this is something that through the epistle, Peter strives to make very, very clear as we want to see. And what is our calling? According to verse 3, let's reread this verse. He says, Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And again, translations here have you have several translations. This translation describes our calling that we are called by His glory and virtue. But other translations has it that we are called to His glory and virtue. And I want you just to keep that in the back of your mind for a moment. When God saves us by His wonderful grace, He has an intention for each one of us. He, ha he has a purpose. And we very selfishly, we often think, well, yes, he saved me to deliver me from hell so I one day I can go to heaven. Which of course 
is wonderfully true. Let me let me stress that. 那当然，这件事情是毫无疑问的，是确确实没错的。Yes, when he saves us, we are delivered from eternal condemnation of hell to be with him in heaven. That is wonderful. 那这确实没错。当我们他拯救我们的时候，他拯救我们脱离地狱，让我们能够与他在天上。But do we realize that in his calling us, in saving us? His intention goes far beyond just to deliver us from condemnation. There is something much greater than that. 但是你们发现他拯救我们，不仅是想要脱离我们，不至于灭亡，但是他是希望我们能够有更高的一个护照。Do we realize that he calls us, even as our brother opened this morning, he calls us to his glory. 那他呼召我们进入这个荣耀里。He wants us to share his glory. Now I, I don't know how this strikes you. No, I don't know how this strikes you. But sometimes it's,、uh, I must confess, it's a little, almost too much to take in. If I can put that reverently, what a sinner that was condemned to go to hell, God saves me and wants me. A piece of dust to share the glory of the God that created everything. 那个罪人本来是要死的，但是如今啊，却能够享受这个荣耀，与这位创造宇宙的神能够一同享受荣耀呢？这我们能够思想到这些事情吗 ？Well, this is exactly God's calling for you and for me when we believe in our Lord Jesus. 这就是当我们信主的时候，主对我们的呼召。Maybe we can read another verse, also from Peter. Let us tell us the same idea, but going back to his first epistle. If you turn your, the page in your Bible, one page back. 那我们再读一处的圣经，就是在彼得前书。In the last chapter of First Peter, the same idea is stated. 那就是彼得前书的最后一章，第五章。And in this case, I believe all translations are the same. 那我相信所有的翻译版本应该都是一样。First Peter. Chapter five, verse ten. So, what is, how is Peter stating? What is God's calling for each one of us? 那彼得前书五章第十节，那第我们所看到的神对我们的呼召究竟是什么呢 ？He says, "And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ." 那赐恩典的神，曾在基督召，曾在基督里召你们，得享他荣耀里。Do you see the greatness of our calling? You 是否看到啊这个你这个呼召的这个是何等的伟大呢 ？And I know that we are talking about apparently two different things here: to grow in the Lord and our calling to glory. 那一件事情就是在主里面成长，并且这个进入荣耀。But at the end of the day, the two things. Go hand by hand, cannot be separated. 那最后我们能够看到这两件事情就是息息相关的，是不能被分开来的。Please hold that idea for a second in the back of your mind, if you're in a shelf there, for for a second. Bear with me. 我们就把这个思想先放在，就我们记在我们的心，我们先把它记在一边。We want, by the grace of the Lord, develop that thought even in this epistle. 我们希望能够。Well, I'm very grateful, as probably many of you are, that 
Uh, recently, our brother Lance Lambert visited us. 那我们再次感谢主，我们相信许多弟兄也是很感谢主，就是我们的兰佩的弟兄最近探望我们。And as you know, in in one of his、uh, he shared twice with us, and the first time he shared, he used he based his sharing on on the last verse of Second Peter. 那我们记得他分享两次，他第一次分享的时候，啊、uh, ，他所使用的经节引用的经节呢是彼得啊、uh, 后书的最后一章最后一节。And in that message, our brother he mentions something about certain words in the Bible. 那他提到圣经的一些的词。So how are you to understand the word grace? 那我们怎么样明白恩典这个词 ？And he also mentioned how are we to understand the word glory? 那我们怎么样能够明白荣耀这个词呢 ？And as a matter of fact, there are words virtually impossible to be putting human words. And the reason I'm bringing this is, of course, if we are called to God's glory, we need to ask. Well, after all, what does that mean? What is God's glory? That 最终我们要想的问题是，如果我们被召进入神的荣耀里面的话，那这荣耀究竟是什么呢 ？But our brother said something that was very, very precious and helpful to me. If you remember, he said, "Well, grace is impossible to define." And this is a paraphrase, of course. 那他当然说到，就是他弟兄提到说，这个恩典当然是没有办法我们来形容的。However, if you want to understand what grace means, look at Jesus. 但是如果你要明白恩典究竟是什么意思的话，你就看耶稣。And there you go. You understand. This is grace. Jesus. If you want to understand what is glory, just look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you understand through that person, through that character, we understand. We have a glimpse. Oh, this is what the glory of God looks like. 这个这个人，我们就能够看到，我们能看到一瞥，我们能够看到神的荣耀究竟是如何。And the wonderful thing is that at the beginning of the Gospel of John, as we just read， 那我们知道在呃约翰福音的前面，我们能够看到 ，John says that we beheld His glory。那对约翰提到说，我们看到他的荣耀。So in other words, if our calling is to share God's very glory。The only way for us to understand what is that glory that is part of our call. 我们唯一能够明白这这个荣耀这个荣耀的一种方法 is looking to the Lord Jesus. 那是要看我们的主耶稣基督 When we look at Him, we start to understand what is glory. 当我们看他的时候，我们就开始明白说何为荣耀 Of course, we have an idea from the Bible of what's the general sense of glory. Glory through the Bible speaks of God's heart fully satisfied. That 荣耀在圣经里面能够看到神的心完全得着满足 And His satisfaction being expressed. That 他的这个满足就被表达出来 And every time that that happens in Scripture, whether Old or New Testament, 当这件事情在圣经上提到的时候，无论是在旧约或新约 That has always to do with the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. 都是与我们的，都是与这位主耶稣基督有关系。Yes, even in the Old Testament. 
In the Old Testament, that glory is when it's manifested, somehow is connected to the Lord Jesus in type, in, in, in as an illustration. So for instance, in several cases in the Old Testament, you had an offering upon the altar. And fire came from heaven. It's like God demonstrating that He is accepting fully what is being offered. Of course, the fulfillment of that is when our Lord Jesus offered Himself upon the cross. How God accepted that offering. How it satisfies God's heart. Or in the Old Testament, uh, in, in the, if you remember in the tabernacle, uh, when, when one day the presence of God came to dwell in that tabernacle, and the Shekinah of the glory of God filled the tabernacle. In that structure that God asked the children of Israel to put together, God could manifest His presence. And somehow He was satisfied with that. But of course, this is just like a type. It's like an illustration in the Old Testament. We know even from other scriptures that God can never dwell in something that is man-made. That is something that is actually pointing to something that would come one day in the future. Well, the verse we read in John chapter 1, verse 14. In the original Greek, it reads, And the Word became flesh. In our translation, and it dwelt among us. In Greek, it says, And the Word became flesh, and it tabernacled. Among us. Our Lord Jesus Himself was like a portable tabernacle. And even as the glory of God in the past had come upon that tabernacle, the Shekinah of His glory. Now, in the person of the Lord Jesus that became flesh, he became a tabernacle. And the gospel writer says, and we beheld his glory. The satisfaction of God was fully revealed in the person of our Lord Jesus. Well, I want you to keep holding this in your mind and we will try to put it together. Okay. 
Have you considered what Paul means when Paul describes our calling and the purpose of God in our life? Have you considered what he means in God in, in Romans chapter 8? Maybe we can turn again to Romans 8 and read it again. Peter already said that we are called to God's glory. And Paul here in this wonderful passage, he's essentially saying the same thing. He's dwelling, what is our calling all about? And essentially he's saying the same thing that Peter said. We are being called to God's glory. But here, Paul will spell what exactly does that mean. Sometimes it's something to, is, is a term too abstract for us. Yes, I'm called to God's glory, but what exactly does that mean in my life, in your life? So let's read again how Paul is spelling what that calling means exactly. Verse 20, Romans 8, verse 29. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed the image of his son. And at the end of verse 30, he says, And he and those whom he called, that's you and me, those he glorified. So we see the same ideas even as Peter puts it. The calling of the Lord has to do with our final glorification. Called to his glory. But what exactly does that mean? Thank the Lord, Paul explains here. Those whom he foreknew, that's you and me, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Our Lord Jesus is full of glory. In Him, the satisfaction of God was fully manifested, even in His body. And He displayed with perfection all the glory of God, all, all that God is. But you and I are called to be like the Lord Jesus, to be conformed to that image. In other words, we are, we are called to share His glory. The glory of the Lord Jesus is something that comes from what He is. See, sometimes we think in glory in terms very material, right? 
So we think, well, you know, a powerful king, you know, that has a lot of gold, a lot of medals, a crown, that that's glorious. And of course, the idea in the Bible has nothing to do with that. When people looked at Jesus, they saw a man. There was no outward appearance of glory. And yet, the Gospel writer John, he says, when we beheld him, when we paid attention, we saw God's glory. It's not something external. It's something that has to do with what he is, with his character. And that, at the end of the day, is glory. Our Lord Jesus, He is glory. And we are called, and that's, I cannot think in a higher calling than that. We are called even to share that glory, to become like He is. Well, brothers and sisters, since, since this is our calling, His way to glory has to be our way to glory. If we are called to become like our Lord Jesus, the way He traveled to that glory has to be the same way that we are to travel to that glory. Of course, we have to ask that question. So, our Lord Jesus, that was born as a man, yes, He came from God. He is the word that was with God, but he became flesh. And he partook of all, all that nature, all the weakness, and all that uh, uh, fragility, if you want, of what is human life. Without sin, we must add. And yet, he was born as a man. And our Lord Jesus, he reached glory. If we are to become conformed to him in his glory, the path he took has to be our own path. So what is that path of our Lord Jesus to glory? And here I feel that our brother Peter, he goes to the, the crux, the very core of the whole question. As we just read in, in his epistle, Peter makes mention of one event in the life of the Lord Jesus. And I cannot help but feel that this event is actually the explanation of all these things. 
It explains our calling. It explains how our calling will become a reality. How can we finally reach that glory that we were called to, to share with the Lord Jesus? And of course, Peter is referring to what happened in the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me just, so we can see this again. Let's read again verses 16 through 18. So Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Why is Peter making specific a specific reference to the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus? I feel the answer is because this explains our calling to glory. As Peter says, in the Mount of Transfiguration, our Lord received glory. And what happened to him, of course, happened personally to him, but it's much more than just a personal experience of the Lord Jesus. The same experience has to be our experience of those that were united by faith with the risen Lord. What is the Mount of Transfiguration? What happened there? Well, we all know it's a critical event in the life of the Lord Jesus. But I would like you to consider what happened on that mountain from one specific angle. From the angle of our Lord Jesus' humanity. So as we mentioned, if you read a gospel like the Gospel of Luke, for instance, there you see how our Lord Jesus was born upon this earth. As a man. As, as we sing, as a helpless babe. Sharing the weakness of humanity. Without sin. And yet, subject to the same limitations. And as we read the Gospel of Luke, for instance, we see that that humanity experienced 
development. The Gospel of Luke is very careful to record how the Lord Jesus he grew. Actually, it's the only Gospel, if I remember correctly, that mentions specifically that our Lord Jesus he was growing. He wasn't born as a baby that knew everything as a baby. No, he was he was a man. And he was in every stage of his manhood. He shared the normal things of that stage. Without sin. I'll stress that over and over. Bear with me. So when he was born, he was born as a baby. With limitations. Everything to be learned. And the Gospel of Luke is very careful in recording that Jesus, he grew. His human life experienced development. And he grew more and more and more. Physically, psychologically, and spiritually. And we have a big silence in the Bible about what happened in Jesus' life between, you know, birth and age 30. We have very few events that are recorded about that. He is born in the manger. And then we know that he was visited by the, 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 the Magi. Magi. Right? <laughs> and we know that he went to the temple before that probably to be circumcised. And then finally there is a big jump when he's age 12. And when he's 12, we already have a glimpse of what kind of person he was. You remember what is recorded there. The answer he gave his mother when she asked why, why he stayed behind. You remember the story. We are not going to go into details of this. But when he addresses his mother very respectfully, he says, Don't you know that I should be occupied with the business of my father? Here you have a human life. Experiencing development. Growing. And then you have another huge silence between age 12 and age 30. What happened during that period? Well, from the Bible, we have virtually no, inform, no direct information of what happened. 
But one thing we can be pretty sure, we know absolutely for sure, during those 30 silent private years of our Lord Jesus, He grew in perfect fellowship with His Heavenly Father. How do we know that? Because what breaks that very long period of silence is the, his, uh, when he enters public ministry. And that is his baptism. And in his baptism, there is a voice coming from heaven, as we all remember. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. It's very similar to the voice in the Mount of Transfiguration, but are two different events. But both, they point to the same thing. The full satisfaction of God the Father with that life, the life of His Son. So do we see that the life of the Lord Jesus is a life of continuous growth and development? Finally, we reach the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration happened pretty much towards the end of our Lord Jesus' ministry on this earth. So we can divide his life in, in three periods. From birth to age 30. The private part. Very limited information. But at the end of that period, we have the testimony of the Father, his full satisfaction upon the Lord Jesus. He grew. That perfect human life experienced perfect development. From age 30 to age 33. That's the period of his ministry. Three years, and that's from baptism to the Mount of Transfiguration. What is the outcome of that period? Again, God's testimony. He's fully satisfied with that with his son. You see the glory of God fully manifested, God's satisfaction, even in that voice, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. And finally, from age 33, you have 
From that point in the Mount of Transfiguration, we have six more months to his to the cross. And those six months, actually, they have a very, very specific purpose in the Lord Jesus' life. Those six months are actually a march or a pathway towards Jerusalem. So before we get there, just I want to dwell in one thing. What is happening exactly in the Mount of Transfiguration? It's a very dramatic scene. As you remember, our Lord Jesus was well transfigured. And even an outward glory became manifest in that event, something visible. And we have that voice. The testimony of, of the Father about His satisfaction with His Son. But what exactly is, what is the significance of what is happening upon that mountain? Why is Peter in his epistle, when he's about to depart to the Lord, he makes specific reference to that event? Well, I'll better quote, I'll, I'll, if you allow me, I want to read a phrase from G. Campbell Morgan. So, this is the way that G. Campbell Morgan, he describes the significance. What is happening on the Mount of Transfiguration? How are we to understand that critical event in the life of our Lord Jesus. So he says, it was the consummation of ideal human life. Good luck with my handwriting. You better listen. <laughs> So it was the consummation of ideal human life. And the beginning of the pathway that ended in the accomplishment, let me sum it up, that ended in the accomplishment of redemption of mankind. Two different things happened. We know it's not the end of his life on earth because he had still another six months to go. But that that critical event is like a milestone, a very important milestone in the life of our Lord Jesus. Is as again as our brother says, is the consummation, the end, the peak of the development of ideal human life. From that point on, his whole ministry is a march 
towards Jerusalem. He set his face to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. To understand this, let's put it in other words. If our Lord Jesus had not come with the mission to redeem us, to save us, that point in the mount could be very well the end of his life on earth. He pleased the Father in his private ears. He fully pleased his Father in his public ears. He grew and grew and grew. And from that mountain, when he was transfigured, full of glory, he could have ascended right from there. He had two visitors, you remember Moses and Elijah. When those visitors were taken back up, our Lord Jesus, if he had come with no further purpose, he could very well have departed, have left this earth with all glory from that mountain. But because he had a further mission, even to save you and me, that was not the end of his journey on this earth. He descended from that, from the top of Hermon, probably. He descended more and more and more all the way to Mount Calvary. But you see the significance of that event. That's what I want to, to stress this morning. The Mount of Transfiguration is the peak of the Lord Jesus' growth as a perfect man. And upon that mountain he received glory. Actually, the glory was already built up inside of him. That perfect character that he developed through all those years. But now the veil that was upon the veil of his flesh, so to speak, was for for some instance was lifted up, and people saw what that glory is like. Brothers and sisters, when we are saved by the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus. His very life comes to dwell in us. And as that life dwells in us, that life has to gain the ascendancy upon our lives. 
就在我们的生生命当中，就是要有这个超越，要往上的这个啊，这这这个成长的方向。Even as that life developed when he lived upon this earth， 那这个生命在他活在地上的时候，持续的这个呃。That very same life that is in you and in me when we believed in the Lord has also to grow. That 同样的生命在你和我里面，同样的要持续的成长。Even as that life on earth reached full glory, full growth, the same with us. 那这个生命在地上是完全的成长，同样的我们也要如此的成长。And His pathway to glory, that means full development. Full growth, that is our pathway to glory. That 像荣耀的这个道路，就是完全的成长，完全的变成荣耀，也是我们当行走同样的一个道路。And there is no other way. 那我们是没有其他的道路。This is our calling. 这就是我们的呼召。A calling to glory. 这个呼召要进入荣耀。Which means nothing more or less than to become like His. 那就是要。不多不增增少不增加也不减少，就是我们要更像他。To be conformed to his glorious image， 我们要磨成他荣耀的形象。And that only happens when we grow in the Lord。那这只有在我们在主里面成长的时候会发生。I hope we can have a glimpse of the burden in the heart of our brother Peter as he was about to go to be with。那我实在是希望我们能够明白一点这个在彼得的心里面的一种。He's like reminding his readers. Yes, this is your glorious calling. To partake of his glory. And this will only happen if you grow in the Lord Jesus. I would like. I would like to conclude with that, with just one more thought. 那我结束之前，我想要使用一个思想来与弟兄姐妹一同分享。As as I was reading the epistle and meditating, something that touched me very deeply is the way that Peter begins the whole epistle. 那我觉得，当我在默想这封书信的时候，有一件事情很感动我，就是彼得如何开始写这封书信。So you know, he addresses himself as Simon Peter. 那他。自称为这个西门彼得。And, and it's interesting because if I remember correctly, aside from the Gospels, there is no other reference to Simon. 那我们如果记得没错的话，在四福音以外，呃，是完全没有提到西门这个字。Let me explain briefly. 那我简单的提提一下。You know, Peter originally was not Peter. 那彼得之前的名字不是彼得。His name from the beginning is just Simon. But then, when he met the Lord Jesus, the first time he ever met the Lord, the Lord told him, "You're Simon, but one day you will be called Peter." And you remember, one day Peter had or Simon had that. Revelation from above about who the Lord Jesus is. 那有一天西门有这个从上而来的启示，让他能够看见说啊，耶稣究竟是谁 ？He finally, from not finally, I'm sorry, because God revealed that to him. He understood you, the Lord Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. 那神就向他启示，他就能够看见说，基督
then the Lord told him, Well, now I tell you that you are Peter. Which means a stone. And the Lord added, And now upon this rock, not the rock of Peter, the Peter means a little stone, but upon that massive rock of the whole of the person of the Lord Jesus, of the fact that He is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, upon that rock I will build my church. In other words, it's just because of the grace of the Lord that Simon can one day become Peter, even a stone in the building of his church. And actually, if you read in the in the book of Acts, uh, if I recall correctly, there is no reference to the name Simon anymore. And even in other epistles he's referred to as Cephas, which means is a translation of Peter in in, in, in Aramaic, I believe. It's like Simon is his old man, old name. And by the grace of the Lord, Simon became Peter. But now at the very end of his life, he addresses his brothers, not just as Peter, as the way he was known, but as Simon Peter. And actually that name Simon reminds us in a very specific way of his failure. You remember in the night that our Lord Jesus was uh, was actually that Peter denied the Lord? As we mentioned, before denying the Lord, he said the opposite, that he would die for him. And you remember how our Lord Jesus, he warned Peter. Peter didn't know himself that well. He thought he could die for the Lord. Well, our Lord Jesus knows us through and through. Even when we do not know ourselves. And, and he knew our brother Peter exactly. He knew that he would fail. And the Lord warned Peter. But he used the name when he warned him. He used the name Simon. He told him, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked permission to sift to sift you as the wheat. And actually, that Simon probably reminds us of his failure. Well, what really strikes me, brothers and sisters, is that we are actually no different from Peter. 
那我们知道这个我们是与彼得是没有不同的。Quite often we are capable of denying our Lord.那我们经常是有，也像彼得一样会不认我们的主。Even if we do not do it in words or in in the way that Peter did it, isn't it true that often we kind through our actions we can deny Him?其实我们有的时候不是用言语，有的时候我们借着我们的行为。Often through our, our, our deeds, we can ignore our Lord as if I don't know you and I'm doing my own thing. And you know, if you know any human relationship, if you have a very dear friend, and if for whatever reason you deny your friend in a moment that he really needs you, you know that probably that means that your relationship is over. Naturally speaking, a, a big hurt will grow in your heart against that person that denied you. And of course, we know that Peter or Simon denied the Lord Jesus. And we know that our Lord Jesus, He did exactly the opposite. He didn't throw him away. He did not give up on, on Simon. He restored Simon. He reinstated Peter. He shown amazing grace to Peter. And here is Peter, at, at the end of his life, writing these critical things about our calling. We are called to share the glory of our Lord Jesus. And he's sharing about what's the way to get to that glory. It's to grow in the Lord. But when he begins the whole thing, strangely, he uses his old name his and the new one. They go together. Simon Peter. And the way this somehow came to my heart is that when Peter addresses himself as Simon Peter, it's almost like a reminder to every one of us. We are just sinners saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus. We are no different from our brother Simon. And if we ever can reach to that glory that is our calling, if we ever can grow in our Lord and share that glory, it is all because of His wonderful grace for each one of us. You remember the last reference. It's an indirect reference, but nevertheless a reference. The last reference to Peter in the whole Bible is right in the end of the book, 
There in the New Jerusalem. Is indirect. But is there. You have the glorious city. The purpose of God finally accomplished. A city that is full of the glory of God. And you remember that the foundations of that city are in, in the foundations you have the names of the twelve apostles. Well, the first foundation is compared, the stone in that first foundation is the, the stone of Jasper. It's a diamond. Some, some, some scholars of the Bible tells us that probably the right translation for this is a diamond. And when, when John described the one that sits upon the throne, he says, he's like a stone of jasper. A diamond. He is like the glory of God is like a diamond. In other words, do you see the implication here? At the very end of the book, our brother Peter was transformed to the image, conformed to the image of Christ. He reached that glory. And I am sure if you ask him, he will tell you, it's all because of his grace. I could not do that by myself. It's all because of his grace. And at the end of his book, he says, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, are we indeed growing every day in the grace of our Lord Jesus? Do we appreciate in an ever-increasing measure the love that our Lord Jesus has for us? May the Lord encourage us, every one of us. May we indeed grow in His grace and in His knowledge. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. For calling us with such high calling. Now, Lord, even as our brother testified that he is just Simon Peter, we confess that we are by no means better. We just pray, Lord, that by your amazing grace, 
you would cause our hearts to respond to that love and grace that you have for us. So that we may grow in our Lord Jesus. And we pray these things for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.